0: For all our new members, welcome to us. We are uplifted by your presence and flattered that you chose us, mindful that there are so many other compelling synagogues in the city. To all our experienced congregants, and by that I mean anyone who has been here for at least a year, you are plenty experienced. For all your returnees, look for our newest members after this service and throughout the holidays. Spent some time with them and welcome them to our community. Give them the real deal about the synagogue the good, the bad, and the ugly. You need to do it. Because if they hear it from me, they'll only hear superlatives and exaggerations, as rabbis are prone to do. By now, after all these years, I'm incapable of objectivity about our synagogue. The greatest synagogue in the city, in the country, the greatest synagogue in the history of the world. <laughs> See what I mean? I'm not objective and prone to exaggeration. So consider it your responsibility to reach out to what will be several hundred new members, children and adults, who will be joining us this year. Speaking about taking responsibility, there is a provocative verse in this week's Torah portion, Ki that offers a poignant message for our times and this season. We read, "Kiti vne Beit Chadash, when you build a new house, v'asita ma akel you shall place a guardrail on the roof of the house. Velotasim damim bevetecha ki ypol hanofel mimenu." So that you shall not bring guilt upon your house if someone falls from the roof. It is a logical and common-sense provision. When you are building a new house, put a guardrail on the roof so that you will not be guilty of either causing or contributing to someone falling off. It is your responsibility to ensure the safety of people who come into your home. The Torah warns us that even if you are simply inviting people to your roof for a barbecue of camel liver and sheep's head, you need to take responsibility for ensuring the safety of your guests. This rather straightforward verse set off a huge philosophical debate. Not about the things that we would worry about today — what material to use, how high should the guard rail be, who needs to approve it, how much it would cost. Rather, what especially agitated our sages was, why do we need to worry about someone else's safety in the first place? The rabbis focused on the faller, not the owner of the property. They noted the literal wording of the Torah. Ki yipol hanofel mimeno, lest the faller fall from the roof. The sages asked, how could the faller be called a faller before he fell? They answered in this way, the person who falls from my roof was destined to fall, it was decreed already in the six days of creation. No person bruises a finger on earth unless decreed in heaven, say the rabbis. In other words, the faller was supposed to fall. That's why the Torah describes him as a faller even before he fell. If that's the case, then the sages ask if the faller was supposed to fall anyway, wow, you're too smart. Why bother with a guardrail? If he was supposed to fall anyway, how will a guardrail save him? It's one of the central questions of religion this connection between free will. And causality. No human action will prevent the decree already determined in heaven during the six days of creation. But that can't be right, argued the sages. Otherwise, why do anything? If everything is predetermined, why does anything we say or do matter? And if it is all destined and predetermined, What is the basis of morality? Why am I responsible for someone falling off my roof, if it was already decreed in heaven that he would fall off the roof? The sages raised a similar dilemma with regard to Joseph's enslavement in Egypt. You remember that story? Joseph sold his brothers into slavery? There's a play about that, remember that? Joseph. The play came from our book, by the way. It wasn't the opposite. The sages asked, didn't we know already in the first chapters of the book of Genesis that the Israelites would be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years? If so, Joseph was meant to be in Egypt. Why blame the brothers if it was God's plan from the beginning? We still ask these questions. If God is all-powerful, why didn't God intervene in the Holocaust? Or any tragedy? Or any injustice? Why do bad things happen to good people? What did the Bahamians do to deserve all that damage from Hurricane Doria? Some of course argue there is no God – that's why God doesn't intervene. It is the wrong question entirely. But even those of you who reject God, who are non-believers, you are not off the hook either. Because according to some, the latest scientific thinking teaches the same thing – that free will is a delusion. We now know, they argue, that our actions – all of our actions – are predetermined by our biology and physiology. Synapses and electrochemical processes in our brains, our genetic makeup, these determine our behavior. That's the latest science. Yuval Harari, in his monumental work, Homo Deus, argues the electrochemical brain processes that result in murder are either deterministic or random, or a combination of both. But they are never free. Free will, he writes, exists only in the imaginary stories we humans have invented. Thus, the latest scientific thinking is, I am attracted to the color purple. Not because I chose that, but because of my genetic makeup. I am, my sexual attractions are not chosen by me. They're part of my genetic makeup. My propensity to gain weight, my susceptibility to alcohol dependency are not my choosing. These were part of my genetic makeup. Some people are taller than others, some people are heavier than others. I can't choose to be taller. I have no free will when it comes to my hair or eye or skin color. In the language of religion, it was decreed. Some people are more intelligent than others. Some are more athletic than others. Some are more musical than others. I tell you one thing, no matter how much I train, no matter how fierce is my will, I'll never win the New York City Marathon. All these are what are examples of what religion calls determinism. And if something is determined in advance, you're not free to alter it. It's a fascinating postmodern take on one of the most ancient religious contentions. I didn't want to stab that person. The devil made me do it. I didn't want to stab that person. My genetic predisposition, my electrochemical brainwaves made me do it. Either way, whether it was the devil or your physiology that made you do it, it's not your fault. If you had no control, no free will, thus the most modern scientific and the most ancient religious thinking converge. It's not your fault, and there's nothing you can do about it – it's predetermined. The most brilliant Jewish minds have considered these questions for thousands of years. And no explanation is fully persuasive. So I can't really help you in one var Torah. You'll just have to study with us. A lot, if you want to learn more. But here's my point for the holiday season – even though it could not be fully resolved philosophically. Jewish tradition insists that we have free will and our actions make a difference. As we will recite on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, repentance, prayer and charity temper the divine decree. Rashi pointed out, even if the faller was destined to fall, It shouldn't be on your account, because of something you did or you failed to do. Even if Joseph was meant to end up in Egypt, it should not have been the result of such unbrotherly cruelty. Terrible moral offense. Judaism insists, and the season of its most urgent insistence is now the month of Elul leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur – that you have the power over yourself. You can control your own life. Were this not the case, there would be no meaning to justice, law, personal responsibility or morality. If the devil made me do it, I am not responsible. If my genetics made me do it, I am not responsible. Justice is not served by punishing me for something I had no control over. That's why the sages insist. A person is always responsible for his actions, whether awake or asleep. Against your will you were born, and against your will you will die. But live your life of your own free will. How to assert control over yourself? Jewish tradition urges us to build guardrails, fences around ourselves so that we won't fall, especially where we know we have the propensity to fall. One bad act leads to another. The biggest mistakes, the biggest offenses did not start big – they were small at first. We cheated on the exam when we were young, which led to a habit of cheating. We told a lie, and those first lies led to a lifetime of lying. We knew that smoking leads to addiction, but we took that drag anyway. It is the first wrong step that eventually leads to a lifetime of wrong steps. The Talmud teaches that the yetzer, the inclination towards harm, mischief, and eventually the yetzer hara, the propensity to evil, grows stronger from day to day. It's at first, they say, like the thread of a spider, but ultimately it becomes like cart ropes. That's a great image, by the way. Because if you imagine the strongest rope, the strongest cart rope. You would see that it is made up of many weak and delicate strands. If you separate the threads one by one, each can be shredded easily. And then you might marvel, that's all there was, just these fragile threads. But put them all together, twist them, and bind the different strands, and you have an almost unbreakable rope. This season is about taking responsibility. It's about rejecting both the ancient religious excuses – the devil made me do it – and the newest brain science excuses – genetics made me do it. And one final word about falling. All of us fall. We fall daily on little things and big things. Yes. We should build guardrails and fences so that we prevent as much falling as possible. Still, to live is to fall. Get up after you fall. Get up. Don't stay down. As Judaism insists that you have the power to prevent the fall, so Judaism insists that we can repent, make amends when we do fall. Everyone falls. But not everyone gets up. Get up.